Welcome to another episode of Before You Kill Yourself with Leo Flowers. If you're like me, quarantined, locked up, <laughs> not locked up, but that's what it feels like, right? Um, There's it, it, so many challenges and, and obstacles. I have received so many messages from people feeling like a burden, uh, feeling like they're isolated, to feeling hopeless. Uh, However, if you go to thrivewithleo.com, I can coach you from feeling like a burden to feeling like a blessing, from feeling isolated to feeling connected, from feeling hopeless to feeling hopeful. Go to thrivewithleo.com for one-on-one coaching, and we will get through this together. With that said, Let's get into the episode. Hello, is it Dr. Nichols? I see you got a PhD there. I do. Uh, yeah, technically it's it's Dr. Nitra. I mean, legally, my legal name is Nitrauer. So I'm Dr. Dr. Christy Nitrauer. Nitrauer. And uh, from Yeah, but I but but because people just don't know what to do with that last name. Yeah. Like maybe five years ago I went to Nichols. So I guess technically you can call me Dr. Nichols. It just sounds very like soap opera. <laughs> Drake, Drake. It's not as good as Drake Ramore, but it it has a hint of, of that, you know. Yeah. What, what's your PhD in? It's in art, right? It's in uh, performance studies in theater in the School of Theater, Film, and Television at UCLA. So, technically, I was in the School of Theater, Film, and Television, um, but I wrote my doctoral dissertation on female stand-up comedians. And, um, you know, I was very, uh, I was, I fell very hard for stand up when I realized, and I mean, it's, it's similar to your kind of working through that, the alchemy of taking pain and turning it into humor. And, uh, I kind I got turned on to that when I was, I read an article on Margaret Cho and, and I, I was just like, it completely renewed my sense of, um, I guess, belief in any sort of pedagogical intervention. And, and I just, it completely changed my life. So I start, I decided I wanted to do a dissertation and study that. And, um, but I was, you know, I was, I I wasn't really in love with the whole academic ivory tower thing. So stand up was just sort of my, it was like my gateway drug outside to leave the academic world. To leave the academic world. Yeah. It's a, I mean, I, to me, you know, I always like revered it. I, you know, I have a master's in psychology and a part of me wants to get my PhD. And, um, but then I realized like it's so much alone time, like all that research and being <laughs> yeah. in an office and all, all the, all the, the papers and studies you have to put out. Like it's, it's not, it's not a yeah. fun time. Um, no, it's a lot of isolation, which is, it's funny to hear you say that because I'm, you know, obviously in the throes, we're all in the throes of self-isolating. And yeah, it's, it's a, probably a good time to be an academic now. I just get, you know, a ton of research done. Oh. Um, but, yeah. <laughs> yeah. My friend yeah. is a scientist and, and, and like, he's not phased. He's like, why don't you, he's like, just stay inside all day. And I was like, yeah, yeah, you're a scientist. You're used to being Nerd. in a basement with no windows yep. and, uh, you know, yep. bright false lights and that. You know, I'm an outdoor really? cat, you know? Yeah, yeah, totally. I, I think I'm actually, after having all this time, 
Uh, I think I'm I'm somewhere. I'm like a half cat. I'm a half indoor, half outdoor cat. My piano teacher. I actually have a a chapter about this in my new book. But she had a cat enclosure. She had she had eighteen cats, and she would have this little like freeway that went from the out from the indoors to the outdoors, and they had this like. So cats that wanted both could do that, you know, could be outside, be inside. I sound insane right now, but um, this is a real thing that this this woman had a had like a another house put on the back of her house that was strictly an outdoor like jungle for cats. <laughs> this is a good start, don't you think? It's a it's a great start. People love yeah. cats. I mean, uh, they I'll get more cats. views on YouTube than than my videos have. Ooh, so. Yeah. <laughs> That's what you need to do is dress up as a cat. Just just make some content there. I mean, listen, the sky's the limit now for for making funny funny stuff for the internet. Can I curse, Leo? Yeah, is that absolutely. Okay? Let her rip. I'm, We're all about okay, vulnerability good. and transparency and showing up as who you are. And uh, uh, yeah, I should just use the cat as a, a, a as the uh, as the cover photo or a clip art or oh, whatever completely. to get people. some but, stupid and doing something stupid and everybody's on board that, that, that yeah. you know I, I think that's what's going to happen i think comedy is and i don't want to say regress because fart jokes have always been funny but completely, I think completely. now that uh we're, we're uh quarantined um uh s- s- really dumb jokes are going to be even funnier like i, I think adam sandler his oh, yeah. movies are going to like oh, yeah. take oh, off ten ten thousand folks Oh, all right. I mean, Happy Jack, Gilmore. Jack. Yeah. Oh no, 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 no. You gotta go. You gotta go with Jack and Jill, and that's my boy. They are. They are just. It just. It's. It's so. I. I call them stupid but funny jokes. That they're just so baseline dumb that you have. And and you know, someone posted. A buddy of mine posted this video of uh, at a Disney park. There was an Incredibles or wherever the Incre- Incredibles or Pixar. Yeah. So it was at Disneyland. And they were coming out to do a live performance. I don't know if you've seen this video going around. And it's Mrs. Incredible, whatever the um, Holly Hunter's character comes out. And her face, she trips and her entire plastic face falls off. And it just tumbles to the ground in front of, you know, all these kids watching. And I I shit you not, Leo, I I think I watched it 40 times. And I laugh like if you saw the Joker, you know, the uh, Joaquin Phoenix yeah. movie you know that one, right okay you know he's like ah! you know like that whole I laugh so hard that I don't know if I'm crying or I'm laughing and it is just it is the the dumbest clip and it's maybe five seconds of just this this character's face falling off but there's something about it that in this moment in this historical cultural moment whatever it is I just shit my face laughing just die laughing it's so good uh, it, it, you know, it, there's a video because it, it is the dumbest thing that we laugh. There's a video about this uh, newscaster with a newscaster Ooh. and uh, a farmer, and they're they're <laughs> stomping grapes, and it's like from the <laughs> '80s. It's an old grainy video, yeah. and have you seen this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh my god! No, I haven't. But okay. I, just, I, I yeah, All right. yeah, yeah. They're they're they're, they're on this elevated platform. It's a very small platform. And they're both standing in buckets and they're smashing grapes. And, and the farmer's <laughs> like, this is how we smash grapes. And, you know, they have their boots on. Yeah. And then uh, the farmer's like, all right, we got to stop now. And the news reporter, of course, because she needs more content for time, is like, no, no, let's get a couple more stomps in. And, <laughs> and nothing good happens when no, you no, say, no. <laughs> let's just do one more or one let's more, go back, yeah. whatever. And she yeah, takes yeah. two more steps and oh, no. falls 
forward off this platform. And the falling is not funny. But when she hits, she's like, ow, 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 ow. Like her, the the wailing at the end of this. And you don't even feel sorry for her because the farmer said to stop. We're done. And if she was a bratty little news reporter who was like, no, I'm going to keep going. And it, and it has like a hundred million views. It's the funniest. Oh. <laughs> have you seen the Have you seen the old white guy that's like, "Come on down to the RV depot," and he's like, "God fucking damn it, this motherfucker!" And he just goes nuts because he can't he can't get the take right. And it's uh, that's pr- it's probably like mid mid nineties, but it, it's just I mean it's the same thing. And, that, and when you started saying that, you're like, "Oh, farmer guy, I'm I'm gonna look that up as soon." And I mean it. I will watch it right now. I, I'm also pregnant. I'm eight months pregnant, so I have so much anxiety. And one of the things, my shrink, and by the way, I call my therapist my shrink with love. And uh, it just, for me, it's just, I've always called them shrinks. It's not a point of uh, disrespect. But anyway, so my shrink was saying, physically, the most important thing for anxiety is shaking it up uh, with laughter, with, with exercise, sweat, um, things that tell your body there's, you know, you're capable of change. You're like, you don't need to, your or tells your brain, Hey, we're, we're capable of having a different thought pattern here and things are okay. So I've been, I've been finding laughter that just stupid. And it's, it's not stuff I normally, it's not, you know, witty or it's just the dumbest shit. And I will watch it over and over and over again, just to shake that up. And it help it, it really does help. Um, but then, you know, my husband will hear me like hyena laughing, Joker laughing. And he's like, what was it this time that did it? And it's again, it's it's the it's the uh, Incredibles face just just falling off. And what a kid would what a kid would think when it saw that. Uh, anyway, movement. It's like, I, you know, this morning, like, at, you know, since this whole thing, I've been getting up at the first thing in the morning. I do yeah. is I get up and I work out for uh, 20 minutes. I, I put it on Instagram and Facebook Live. And then oh. I meditate for 20 minutes. And, and I, I have all that posted on IG and Facebook. That's and great. I tell you, it helps me start the day so much more yeah. powerfully and uh, more, much more relaxed uh, than just waking up, cutting on the news Oh my God, uh, I've been tri- so should, bad. People yeah. should call it the triggers. Like, don't even call the news the news. <laughs> call the news oh the God. triggers. I just thought of that. I'm going to write that down. That's uh, That's genius. Yeah. Um, I, I call it, I, I trigger, I got so tired of hearing trick, which I, I get the function of triggers, but I got so tired of hearing triggers that I was calling it activators, like things that oh. activate a certain part. Because for me and my, my journey with depression, anxiety has been, um, you know, it's, it, I've come to a point where I've accepted, there's a great Eddie Vedder quote, uh, about he, I think he was talking to Bruce Springsteen or something like that. My cut, my cousin actually posted this again, um, about how you know, that critical voice, that inner critic is always going to be in your car. The key is not to let that, not to let them drive. Um, and so I know that 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 anxiety is always going to be there, but it's like you're saying, finding ways not to not to activate it, not to trigger it. And um, because I don't know if it's because I'm nervous about pregnancy or delivering, but I'll tell you, I have not kept up with that practice. I have been more than ever addicted to, you know, picking up the phone and looking first thing in the morning. That's an addiction. You pay. That's the first thing I do. I pick it up and I see 
how many people have died, what the latest quarantine deal is, what, what, you know, how the sky's falling basically. And it, and it has been so hard to, you know, commit to those practices of, of meditation, of, of exercising, but I'm sure you, I mean, I'm sure you're light years ahead of the rest of us in terms of your, your mental health and, and well-being right now because you're you're committed to those practices. No, no, I'm I'm freaking out like everybody else. But really, but well, what, imagine if you imagine <laughs> if you weren't doing that. I, I know you know. So the whole phone thing is because I still have that habit of uh, picking up my phone also uh, first thing in the morning. But w- what I've uh, practiced doing is um, search intentionally searching for like uh, a love quote or an exercise or instead of just like seeing what's out there in the world, because Absolutely. what they're going to show me is whatever's going to activate me. I, I intentionally uh, put, I'm like, all right, if I'm picking up my phone, I'm searching for like, what am I searching for? And I right. type that in and then I go, Oh, I like uh, sometimes I'll search like uh, nature videos or, uh, calming music yeah. or like a song for the morning, you know, things like that versus yeah. just uh, taking a chance that the Google or Yahoo or CNN or New York Times is going to gift me with some something that's going to make me happier or laugh or, some, you know, uh, yeah. it's like, no, you know what? From now on, when I when I and then I save the news for um, after my work of for the day is done. So at like <laughs> your, your dessert. Yeah. It's like, it's like my dessert. We're all gonna and die. it's just a couple yeah. minutes. Yeah. It's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Cause after you've gone through your day and, and you're like, uh, you know, and they're like, Oh, we're all going to die today. I was like, well, that was from four hours ago and nothing's happened. We're all good. So you kind of start looking at it. Like you guys don't know what you're talking. It's like, just like the weather. Like there's yeah. so many times where they give you a weather report for what's happening now. And you look yeah. out your window, you're like, I don't see any of that. There's no yeah, rain. Uh-huh. There's no snow. Yeah. There's no, so you, you guys don't have your stuff together and you're, you're not yeah. reliable. Um, yeah. So it, yeah. it's like that, that's what it's for. Like the, the search engine is is it's like, you know what I think about is like uh, my mom, when I was a kid, she bought uh, a set of encyclopedias. Right. Yeah. And you only open the encyclopedia when you had a question about something. You wanted to learn something. You mm. didn't just that's true. throw open the encyclopedia and and see where it landed and then read that you know uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean some nerds did of course like there are people out there who read the encyclopedias from front to back and you know but yeah most of us like but, yeah you only open it when you you had a question you were looking for something you weren't trying to read all the things right um, and, I, and 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 so definitely that that yeah going to the phone first thing in the morning definitely an oh. activator I like that word activator well 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 someone someone said something to me like uh you know if if you just replace the time you touch your phone and spin on your phone and all that the times you pick it up with a cigarette you know you would say that person has got a smoking problem and and it's true and I think I I really do think like I'll go off like say we're having dinner or something and I don't want my kid I have a two and a half year old and I don't want her to see that I'm on my phone that much or, or whatever it is I want her to, you know, I make a point to be connected with her. And, um, and I, and I'll, I'll, I'll say like, I'll sneak off where you were eating dinner and I'll think, Oh fuck, I got to look that up. I got to know, you know, William H Macy's, you know, what H stands for Wait, it, William H. May- yeah. And I'll, I'll, I'll honestly, 
uh, sneak off and like like it's like having a cigarette or something. Like it's just a it's a very weird compulsion that and I've I, I'm usually pretty good at stopping it because being a writer, you have to you have to just full on turn that fucker off. And um, I was at a friend's uh, t- TV show premiere. You know Kieran Deal? Um, I do. I do. She's she's a uh, Indian, right? Or yes, Pac- yes, yeah, yes. Okay, yeah, yeah. Yes, and she was she was in Sunnyside, which is a DC show. It's now streaming on Hulu. But um, it was it was a party for her show Sunnyside, uh, Cal Penn's. Um, comedy and uh sitcom and and uh i happened to talk to one of her friends who is a writer's assistant for for quentin tarantino and i, I like quentin Tar- tarantino a lot and so i was i was talking to her about him and his you know day-to-day stuff and she was saying you know whenever you're working on set with quentin you don't you have to check your phone everybody checks their phone and i get a lot of that's you know for confidentiality and stuff but he doesn't even own a cell phone and he doesn't if you want to get a hold of him you call a landline that's just it and so she was saying how cre- how his creativity is so bolstered by the fact that he's not constantly interrupted by the technology and what happens to your brain when you're you're saying with the encyclopedia how if you're writing and i i disable the internet when i write um because i'll look up a word or I'll look up a date or something. And then the next thing I know I'm off and there's a fucking kitten video or, or whatever it is that I just, I just have to know the information and writing and, and a lot of art, you know, it, it's about that process of, uh, like gro- gro- groveling. What's the word I'm looking for? Just sort of like not agonizing, but really sitting with, with stuff you don't, actually know and then seeing where that takes you but um that interruption is something that for tarantino you know it's just not an issue so i so for a while there i was not on my phone in the fall this is like for a couple of months and then this and then this shit happened and i I just watched myself transform and then i'll tell you leo my anxiety just went way 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 up and 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 you like you're saying you search for you you're searching for stuff that your brain is like aha we are all gonna die this is very bad and you then you just find more to to fulfill that pattern so it's like it's an addiction it's just there's just so many things about it that as soon as as soon as we're done i'm i'm turning this my phone will go black like it's just turning completely off that's it that's the end of that yeah. So how are you? You know, you, you have a you have an eight month old. You're, you're, I mean, well, uh, you're, oh, you're eight no, months no, no. pregnant I mean, eight, yeah, and then you exactly. have a two and a half year old uh, mm-hmm. Vicky. Right. Um, so how are yeah. you? How are you finding hope in, in this time and, and in general? You know, um, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I was hoping you could tell me. Um, <laughs> I hey, I. I uh, it's so different. You know, I, I'm going to the doctor or my OB is at UCLA and I went out last week and, and you know, it's the woman that, that greeted me was in full on, it's not a hazmat suit, but she had the whole like surgery scrubs, you know, that, um, are more protective and she had the mask and everything. And, and I had to give ID to show who I was before checking into just a regular old, you know, appointment. No one was there. And they basically told me, you know, you can come back in, in four weeks and normally you go every two weeks. So you can come back at 36 weeks. This is last week. Um, and they're just like, yeah, make sure you feel movement. I mean, it's, it feels like I'm, you know, back on the farm or pioneer or something. Cause they're like, 
hey, uh, yeah, just uh, tell us if you don't feel any movements for a while, then call up. But uh, you should be good. It's just they can't they can't risk my exposure to potential, you know, to the virus or whatever. So there's stuff like that that um, I had a C-section with Vicky and uh, having anxiety in a lot of ways. She was a breech baby and, um, you know, so much of anxiety that like urge to control and to understand and to plan and just have things be your your way. Um, it, it's amazing how with, with Vicky, with, with pregnancy, you realize like, I'm literally just being held hostage by this little person that's in, they're, they're making the calls, not me. And so, um, yeah, I, so with Vicky, she had the umbilical cord wrapped around her neck. So we had, we had a, we did a scheduled C-section because after three years of anxiety and panic attacks and going through a bunch of shit to get pregnant, uh, fertility stuff. Um, I realized, and, and I should say my husband has, uh, he had an issue with his, I, and again, I guess you want the vulnerability stuff. My, my, um, my husband has a morphology issue. So he's, his sperm, he had tons of sperm, but they couldn't fertilize my eggs. So we had to do, uh, IVF. That was the only way if, if we want to have a biological kid. So for two years, I was, I was doing anything and everything to fix that something that I could never f- fix. He could never fix, um, without having, you know, actual process of ICSI where they actually fertilize the eggs. So for two years I tried to do this and basically, you know, with, with my daughter, Vicky, they were like, um, so she's breech. We can do this procedure that may or may not work. If it doesn't work, you would probably go into an emergency C-section. So we schedule it at around uh, 37 weeks. And I said to, I said to my husband, you know, I just, something in my heart just doesn't feel right about this. I want to just get, you know, everyone's like, oh, you got to have a natural birth. You got to do this. You got to do that. And I just felt there was a reason that she was breech and there was a reason that we should plan for a C-section and not try to fix something. Cause that's just sort of been my, the story of my life is trying to change things that aren't going to fucking change. Um, so, so we ended up scheduling it and, um, found out that she had wrapped a cord around her head. So we would have had an emergency C-section anyways. And we didn't have to go through the painful procedure of trying to trying to turn her. So, anyways, my point in telling you all this is that I have a scheduled C-section for this for this coming child, which I don't know gender of. Um, and it's this weird thing where it's it's a weird time to be like, okay, I'm gonna go get cut, you know, have this baby cut out of me, and I uh, hope it goes well. You know, it's just it's not the time you want anything cut open right now. Um, so it's it's in a lot of ways been, it's, it's, I think I'll come out of this. If I live Leo, if I, if I survive, I think I'll come out, um, with a different perspective on managing anxiety. And, and for that, I'm maybe foolishly positive about it. You know, that, that this experience will shed some kind of light on processing anxiety in times of you know, true, like truly things are completely out of my, of, out of my hands right now. And I, I can't say for sure how it will end, but the, they basically told me the doctor that delivered Vicky will probably, um, not be doing your C-section. And that immediately I'm like, okay, I'm having anxiety right here in this office. And, uh, uh you know, you feel your heart go and you feel everything start to, to close in. And, uh, so it's tough, 
but again, I feel like I'm in a good place in terms of my relationship to my own mental health that I can kind of step back and, and process exactly, you know, just, just label the feelings and understand, uh, where they are. And, and, you know, I have my, my steps. I, I love how you have certain, um, like acronyms and things that you work through to, to check in and make sure that you're like, you, you, I can't remember what it was. I watched the episode where it was like, Am I bored? Am I that one? You know what I'm talking about? Right. The the bored is uh, uh, so like because I I do most of my anxiety manifests itself through uh, emotional eating. Yeah. And and so I I go through the bored acronym of uh, am I uh, or bail? So I ask myself, am I bored? Yeah. Am I anxious? Am I lonely? Or am I exhausted? And, yeah. and so my antidote for each one of those, like if I recognize that I'm bored, then I know that I require mental stimulation, like reading, doing a puzzle, hmm. um, something, something cerebrally engaging. Mm-hmm. Uh, if I'm anxious, it, it goes back to what you were saying, activity. So I need mm-hmm. to exercise, dance. I, I find that exercise is good for me early in the morning and dancing hmm. is good for me late at night. Um, so it's kind of like a celebratory thing. So when you say dance, do you mean you put on music and you I put on you do music freestyle and, and I just freestyle and I'm just moving. And I, I, I find I only need like a yeah. song or two songs uh, to just just kind of let go because, you know, the, yeah. the the whole day is so controlled in terms of the podcast some training clients, sure. uh, meditating, everything's so rigid. You need a moment in your day. uh where you could just let go and, and you're not, um, it, it doesn't matter what you're doing. You know, you're just kind of having fun and enjoying yourself. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And then like last night, instead of dancing, me and my girl played uh, Monopoly. Which, nice. Uh, I'm just murdering her. Classic. And, uh, <laughs> but uh, we're not going to talk about that right now because she's <laughs> in the room. Uh, and then for loneliness, uh, that, is, that requires connection. So mm-hmm. whether it's connecting with uh, a loved one, uh, looking or looking through old photos to connect, mm-hmm. looking through your old. So here's where social media is valuable and Instagram is. Uh, I find that scrolling through my old feeds is soothing uh, in terms of uh, feeling mm-hmm. connected versus scrolling through other people's feeds. Uh, I really find a, it's something calming and joyful about. Uh, going back through my stuff, uh, or maybe narcissistic, however you want to look at that. But um, well, well, like, hey, this is another. I mean, it takes you out of. I think, I think in in when I when I was having really bad panic attacks, there's this, and I, I in my next book I write about that how it's connected to, or it reminds me of if you've been in a bad earthquake where it starts, the ground starts shaking, and you think, and it's a bad one, and you think, holy shit. It's not, this is never going to stop and it's going to, it's only going to get worse. And that's what it feels like when you're in living through a panic attack. And so I think looking at, looking at, for me, it's looking at old pictures. Like I'll go on Google photos and look at pictures from a totally different time and place, you know, old friends were doing something silly and stupid. And it, it really does remind you, okay, right now this is fleeting. This won't always be the, the way that I, I feel, but I think a lot of times with, with depression, anxiety, and any sort of, um, you know, mental disorder or illness, you, you feel so stuck in, 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 and, you know, in, in this one place that you can't imagine things being brighter or better. And so maybe it's, it's that as you seeing 
happier times on your social media feed or you saying things or connecting with people in ways that you're like, oh, yeah, I know that person. I know I know that pattern. Yeah. And it also uh, reminds you of things that you've accomplished and that you've done. And and it brings back those old, you know, they say the brain can't tell the difference between what's imagined and and what actually happened. And and so as you as you're looking through that, you 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 relive it, you know. Yeah. Um, and, and so, the, yeah, it's, it's powerful in, in that way. It, the brain is really a, a like a wild animal that you just you kind of it's it's so bizarre that we're having this conversation about it. But you're like you're finding ways to outsmart your brain. You know, I'll be like, ah, I got you, buddy. Like, uh, I'm not going to you're not taking me down. It's just such a, such a funny dynamic. Well, yeah, because, you know, you, you, even you, you're talking about your panic attacks and can you can you walk us through because you talked about sure. labeling your emotions and, and where they are. Can you first describe what the panic attacks feel like and then how you yeah. talk yourself yeah. through that? Yeah. And it's, it's, it's great because I just finished this editing this chapter on, um, I actually have, uh, it's called Magnum loyal in the, in the new book called trying, but my dog, um, Magnum was, he is a, a black lab. We think German shepherd mix. We don't really know what he was, but he would sort of sense, um, the, he would sense when they were coming on. And the first time, the first time I remember it, happening actually when I was a child I I had what I called a heart thing where all of a sudden my heart would start beating really fast I'd get really flush really red and I felt like I had no control over my physical body and like at times it felt like um someone was like strangling me from the inside and so I told my my parents about it and my mom we assume cuz his heart disease run, runs in my family assumed it was something with, with my heart. So we put a heart monitor, went to the cardiologist, they put a heart monitor on and they found nothing except for, and I had a heart thing during, while wearing the heart monitor. And, um, you know, they found nothing except for just, you know, I would have a, a rapid increase in pulse and it was, that's normal though. You know, kids can be playing. There's all sorts of reasons why your pulse would be fast. Um, and so when in 2011, I, when I finished, it was the first fall quarter after, um, I left UCLA and, um, I still had insurance through UCLA and that, you know, they have a counseling and psychological services center there. Um, so I had, I hadn't really had the time as stupid as that sounds to commit to therapy and, and, um, finding a therapist while I was in grad school. And I think that was, Number one mistake. But so, so I'm, so it's like September, early September. And one of my colleagues, actually, no, 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 it was very end of August. One of my colleagues was leaving to go, um, he had a 10 year track position at a, at a great university for theater. And he, he stopped into my comedy show, good humor, which I think you've done Leo. Um, so he, at mom's bar, does it sound familiar? Mom, where is that located? It's on uh, Santa Monica and Bundy, sort of like just on the line of I Santa Monica. I have West done that show. Yeah. You have, you have, yeah. So it's a fun, it's a fun show, and we had we had one of these nights where we had, and we'll get this where we get a lot of drunk barflies who are just just, just shit housed, and um, this happened to be one of those nights. And I, you know, first and foremost, consider myself a writer, so I was I was working through a lot of new material, and my buddy happened to be there, and I'm hosting. And it was just a shitty show. And, you know, we have shitty shows. It's very common. And, um, and But I was new to stand-up. I had only been doing a year and a couple of months. And I went, 
I, you know, I, I, I greeted the colleague afterwards and, you know, he said, no, it was great. It was so great having you, blah, blah, blah. And, um, I made some point uh, while I was hosting, I said, oh, it's my colleague. He's going off to a tenure track position. And here I am talking to you, dipshit, bar flies or whatever it was that I said. And, um, and it just was like, you know, when you do stand up and you're talking about something that's too, you haven't healed from it and you don't have the right angle on it. It's too personal. And people are like, oh, this is a wounded animal on stage. You know what I'm talking about, right? Right. Absolutely. Yeah. So they're, so they're not going with you. They're not laughing. They're laughing. Like, oh, this, this chick is fucking sad. So I, so I go home, um, next day I'm looking at the material, uh, that I had worked on the night before and I'm revising it. And, uh, I had been doing this thing where I was chugging self-help books, just like Wayne Dyer, Louise Hayes, like anything, Deepak Chopra, anything to whatever, whenever I felt the swell of anxiety come up, I just listened to an audio book. And tell that voice to shut the fuck up. And I'd be like, nope, nope. I mean, change your story. Change your life. Like, I'm just going to cling to something else. And it was like a Tetris game. It kept building and building and building. And um, it's funny telling you this. I feel my heart, like, starting to go. Um, so I'm so I'm sitting in, sitting in my office writing. And I would do this thing where I would uh, film myself with, do the edits, right? Like, so I'd film myself after I revise a joke to see how it sounded and, and, and how I look telling it, if there's any act outs or whatever. And, um, my dog was in the, in the office with me and I, 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 um, I did did the recording and then I played it back and I, I started to Magnum was always like, I had two dogs, George Carlin and Magnum and, and George just sort of does his own thing. He's a terrier. Um, and he, he's just a, he's a funny guy and I, I love him. We're now, you know, very close, but at the time he was just like, he wouldn't be in my office with me, but Magnum was everywhere with me. He's a very loyal dog. And, um, I, I watched the video and I, 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 I swear to God, I, I felt like I was looking at someone I'd never seen before. I couldn't recognize myself. And I, for the first time saw back how sick I was. And, um, I don't think I had really confronted it and been honest about it. And, um, I just, saw this really disgusting, sick, horrible person on camera. And, um, and I started to feel the heart thing come on again. And I started to feel my pulse, you know, rapidly, uh, picking up and I wheeled myself over to look, to make sure that I was not like I had said, I ingested something accidentally or whatever it was. And I'm looking back at my, at my face and, um, all the color had drained from me and I seeing that and not knowing it felt like I was looking at a funhouse mirror and, um, and I couldn't breathe. It felt like, um, someone was again, strangling me from the inside. I started to hyperventilate. And, um, my, at this point I, I was sure I was dying. Um, and I couldn't, I, I, I knew I had a, a bottle of Ambien. So, I ran into, uh, I just wanted to knock myself out. And so I ran clumsily into the bathroom and the dog, um, Magnum followed me and was started and he was his, I used to take him to, uh, uh, children's hospitals, cancer treatment centers, vet, uh, you know, veterans homes. Like he was a, a, a visiting dog, you know, like a, a comfort, comfort dog. <laughs> it sounds like kind of sexual when I say it, a comfort dog, but 
he was, he was a, you know, one of those dogs. So anyways, he, um, followed me into the bathroom and, um, basically, uh, growling, howling and nipping at me to the point that I think, I think of those panic attacks and this, by the way, I, I had three years of this. Um, but that first one, I think of it as, um, it was, it was so, memorable to me because I really truly felt out of control and it felt like I a possession like someone had possessed my body and if I you know writing about it now I see it as that inner critic is that that voice that's in the car that just took the wheel and I I was letting someone else drive my car for it would ended up being it was a long process getting healthy but um you know uh I went to try to to knock myself out with as many ambient as I had. And my dog completely scared the shit out of me. Cause he's a big, he was a big dog. And, um, at one point he actually did bite me. And, um, it's funny how it shakes you, shakes you out of that. So, so that first panic attack was the first of many. And, um, it, I, I write about it and I say, it, it does remind me, it reminded me a lot of, I did a terrible, uh, one of those sci-fi films about a, a mega quake disaster. It was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun to to do. But in the script, we say maybe 40 times we talk about, I, I have lines about aftershocks and foreshocks. And living with panic and anxiety attacks, it reminds me a lot of living in on a fault line where you don't, you don't know when the big one's coming, but you have a shit ton of foreshocks, you know, things that will lead to the big earthquake and then aftershocks. And, um, it's basically like drowning, um, without water and someone else is driving your car. I think that's about as clear as I can be on it, but it, to, to be honest with you, it's, it was one of the most horrible, it was the most horrible period of my life for three years was this. Wow, that's such a uh, specific description, drowning without water. <laughs> yeah. Uh, how, yeah. How, so how have you, I mean, how do you, how have you worked through that? Well, or, yeah. So, how are you so, working through that, I should say? Well, you know, the, the, the thing, and it's, it's one of the reasons I was really excited to talk to you about it, because I've spent a lot of time now um, writing about it it and processing it. But for a while there, um, you know, just because you understand you have something or you, you know, you, I can label it doesn't necessarily mean like, I thought once I found a, you know, I went to the cap center at UCLA, um, and they, they put me on, they had a, they had me on a drug called Seroquel, which is an antipsychotic in case this happened again, because you know, that this obsession or, or not obsession, but the, the attacks would be so bad that I would had suicide ideation. Right. And I would, I, I could not see the diff, tell the difference between something being a healthy, viable option and something being utterly destructive. So I was in, so, so for me, I found, um, eventually I, I, I did, I only had to take Seroquel for the couple of the big, bad panic attacks, but for the most part, um, medication, didn't help me, um, because it, and I, and I think it's really difficult because for some people it's game changer. And, um, you know, I was telling someone that, you know, as soon as I got my driver's license, I went to a therapist. Like that was the kind of, like, for me, that's always been, my family is not so pro therapy at all. Um, but for me, that's always been like, I, I understand 
that the way my mind processes things is different and that uh, therapy is a good, a really good tool and a gift I can give myself. So from 16 on, I've, I've, or I guess I was 17. Um, I've found therapy to be really helpful, but with, with this, um, whole journey of three years, it was a lot of, um, sadly, and I think for a lot of people suffering from mental illness, it's, it's uh, a lot of trial and error where you're, um, talking, you're, you're, you're trying to find the right therapist that in and of itself is its own thing, finding the right, you know, medication for you. And like I said, for me, the medication made it worse. The side effects were worse. Um, and trying to, to manage that, um, was really, was really scary. Um, also the type of therapy, I mean, I've done, I've done hypnotherapy, I've done EMDR, I've done, um, for me, the best one, you know, talk therapy, the best one for me is uh, cognitive behavioral therapy where there's actually like directive, this is what you need to do or, or not, I don't like the word need. And I've gone over this with my shrink uh, recently that there's a big difference between saying you need something and you want something. For the most part, we want things. We don't actually need them. And that need creates saying I need this to happen is just already puts your brain in that pattern of lack and of you know, finding things that, that, um, match up with, with that whole story and that whole narrative. So, so it was basically three years of finding the right therapist and understanding. I know you are big into journaling. And for me, that was a life lifesaver. Um, I would see, I would journal, especially when I was having a, a bad period I would journal and then I could go back and see, okay, this is a pattern. I know this pattern. Um, I could, I could see that it had happened before. Almost, almost like you were saying the social media going and seeing your page when things were maybe, excuse me, brighter, you were, you know, proud of your accomplishments, all this in a way for me and, and panic attacks, I could see, Oh, this, this is that voice. This is that critic. Um, and I could see that that was a pattern and something that had happened before and I would work through, but to be honest with you, Leo, it's just, it was a lot of work. It was three years of, of just working through a really awful person driving my car. And, um, you know, my, my husband is incredible and has been with me through what well, we've been married a long time, but he saw all this happen. And, um, for him, it, he would describe it as like a possession where it was very clear that someone else was operating my vehicle and not me. And he would, to the point that he would have to like grab my face and be like, look me in the eyes. Cause I was a totally different person. And, um, it was scary. And again, very much like living on a fault line. I just never knew what was coming. So, um, working through that, finding the right therapist, finding journaling, finding things that would work for me specifically that weren't, weren't for me. And again, I'm such an advocate for people getting on the right medication. And I don't want to say that I don't want to say anything, uh, speak ill of medication at all. Um, but for me, it just, it, it was not, it, it didn't work. What meds so, did you, um, you said, uh, Seroquel, was that the only one that you were um, on? What else? Oh no, no, no. Um, so, so like I said, from 17 on, I've taken everything I've taken Celexa, Wellbutrin, Prozac, Zoloft and Lexapro. Um, I, I feel like it's like a, I could do a jingle. 
Um, so yeah, I've done, I've done all those. And then, you know, what I do have for that I carry, carry on me is, um, what's it called? Uh, propanolol. And that is for, it's a, I think it's an SSRI, but it's, it, it works on people with heart arrhythmia. So you can take, and I'm, I, I take sometimes 2.5 milligrams. Like it's a really mild amount, but if I feel like I might have any sense of like panic or something, I just, I have it on, on me and, um, and I really, I rarely, it's such a mild dose, but it's so nice just knowing I have that. So I guess I should say that, um, yeah, it's propanolol and it's, um, it, it's one of those where, you know, with a lot of antidepressants, you need to give them the right amount of time to, for your body to, you know, metabolize them, process them, and then work with your psychiatrist and your psychologist to make sure that they're, um, right for you. Uh, and, and for propanolol, it's just an immediate, it works on the, like the, you know, the physical symptoms of anxiety. Like I was telling you, like rapid pulse, um, just all the, for me, that was the scariest part of, of panic attack and anxiety was the, was the physical and through cognitive behavioral therapy, things like, um, you know, four square breathing. And there's certain things that I will do, that are kind of similar to having a little propanolol. But if I know that um, something is potentially anxiety triggering or activating, then I just I just have that on hand. And honestly, it's just it's really nice to have that um, and know that it's there if I need it. Um, and then I don't I I like I said I have a lot of other practices that I can use and and most of which are I mean I'm a huge huge um, therapy, uh, proponent of therapy. So. Well, can you go through, uh, the four square, uh, therapy, um, or sure, sure, breathing. breathing technique? Yeah. I mean, it's really simple. It's just, you breathe in for four, a solid count of four. You hold your breath for four, you release for four, you hold for four, breathe in for four, hold for four, release for four, hold for four. And you just keep doing that. And that's again, so that it's, it's, tricking your body, your para, parasympathetic nervous system is telling your brain, Hey, shithead, calm down. Everything's okay. And, um, you know, it's, if, if you can get yourself to that now, a lot of times, if like I'm saying, there's times when you can't, I can't get to the place where I'm like, okay, I understand what this is. I'm in a four square and I'll try to start doing that. And it's, it's not happening. Um, so, so in that case, 2.5 milligrams, five milligrams of propanolol. I can take that and know, okay, I'm going to start my breathing now. I know it's going to lower my pulse. I know that I can eventually trust that it'll do what it needs to do and I'll be okay. You know, uh, when I meditate, sometimes my brain, um, you know, doesn't, is not calming down as fast as yep. I want it to. And, yep. uh, and, so I do the I do the five exhale, five inhale, and that always recenters me. But you're right. Okay. If you're too far ahead, yeah, um, too many dominoes have fallen. It's hard yep. to catch your breath, and then you have to go into uh, some some other thing, um, uh, to to kind of slow you down. Uh, is there another technique uh, that you learned from cognitive behavioral that has uh, worked with your anxiety? you know, you mentioned this before. Um, this is, this is silly, but well, I guess it's not silly, but 
you are there are two things I think of. One is uh, you're talking about puzzling. Puzzling is also a really good way to get your your pulse to slow down. Um, also, I was given coloring coloring books um, because it's <laughs> so much of anxiety is that feeling of you know um, lack of control and um, resisting things and uh, the lines coloring within the lines and, 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 you know, my, and my daughter's into coloring now, although I'll tell you, she's all, she colors all over the place. Uh, so that t- tends to be, I have to be like, it's okay, Christy, but, um, coloring staying within the lines and just, again, it will slow your pulse and kind of take you back to, okay, this is like something that I can control and see and do and feel. Um, and then, Another one that's really helpful is a gratitude journal, gratitude list, um, because you can start as small as, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm grateful for my, I'm thankful for my toenails. You know, I'm thankful. I mean, there's just, you can, you could really just, it's endless. And that, um, that again is tricking your brain into, to, to finding that pattern and finding more positive things and making those associations. Um, so that's, that's been that's been helpful too, especially lately. Um, like I told you with the, with the anxiety, um, I, that's helped me a ton. And I did that. I did that the other morning before writing that, um, you know, I wrote, I wrote down a gratitude list and, uh, it, it changed, it, cha- it sets the tone for the day. And there's you coming from this place of, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to make these connections and make these patterns and not from a place of lack. And, um, so that's, that, that's been huge for me. Um, and then, you know, uh, I, my current shrink is, um, fantastic. And, and I, I will say that I've, I really, I have had great therapists, um, but there have been times when you sort of max out, you know, where you're like, okay, I think I've learned all I can learn from this therapist. And, um, especially in terms of getting more directive therapy and like tools to say, okay, this is step one, step two, step three. And, um, the, my, my current therapist has this whole, um, thing about not being in a, in a victim state and that, that helps. And of course, like, again, if things go too far, it's hard to be like, like once you're in that victim state, you have to stop and do a lot more work. But, you know, recognizing your agency and, and, um, and, and again, listing, listing out for me, seeing things visually really helps. Okay. These are the things that where I have agency, these are, these are things that I can control and I'm going to, I'm going to focus on that and all their drama and victimhood. That is just, I'm not going to, I'm not going to fucking have any of that. Um, I, I had to, I had to get well, you know, I, I, um, I was at a point where the panic and the anxiety and the depression was, and I, I kept it from everyone pretty well. And it's funny to be performing. And I, I did a lot of characters and stuff when I was in the worst of it. Um, I, I do a, Nix, a Richard Nixon and a ghost of Richard Nixon, uh, Jane Fonda, depressed horse, which is also a little tricky because I think people, it was too close to home, you know, <laughs> um, yeah. the, the, the horse, the horse was too much my voice at that time. Um, but all sorts of, I performed as a groundhog for like, I would do anything to avoid Christy talking about, you know, performing standup just felt like a sham for, for a while there. And a lot of times, you know, doing material about standup is a slippery slope, uh, because yeah, people don't necessarily 
you want to hear, like, why would you be depressed? You know? Well, um, yeah, you have a PhD, so, so, you're married, you have two, you, oh, know, you yeah. have a kid, you have a kid on the way, you know, people yeah. just see the, yeah. the external. I drive a Volvo, you know, not that that's like, you know, but it's just like, what the fuck are you complaining about? You know, um, and it's not it's not about that, you know, and and so so it was a very it was again, I feel like that's like the word of the week is isolating thing where um, I've, I was miserable and um, really sick, just sick. I was I was very sick and I couldn't tell my very best friends and I'm I'm an open book. But this was this period of time where I just couldn't do it. And so the pain of um, and you start to, to rationalize and think, well, you, you, you know, you can fall you can fall in love with yourself or, or love yourself or blah, 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 all that stuff. But you can really, truly fall in hate with yourself. And that was that period of three years where I really, truly did not see why I should be on the planet or have any sort of place here. And, um, and I, I believed with, with all of my logical mind, which I thought at the time was totally logical that my husband and the, uh, the people I love most would be far better off if I weren't here. And it'd be difficult initially, but they would just honest to God, it would, it would be a gift I could give them. And I believed that. And that's how unwell I was. And, um, you know, I was so, I was in uh, a constant state of torment, not knowing if the fault line was if it was going to be a a big uh, a big earthquake, you know, the big one, and um and that fear was enough that I I couldn't live. I just I couldn't I couldn't live with it. So I had to get I had no choice but to really truly confront this thing, and and I will never go. You know, I'm, I know that I know that voice is going to be in the car. Again, I get that, but I will never, especially having my daughter, you know, and another kid on the way like that. And, and for their sake, I will make sure that mental illness, mental health, all of that, that is always addressed and always, cause that's, that for me is always the biggest fear. It's such a, um, prevalent disease, but it's so infrequently sp- uh, talked about and it's still so taboo and, and all these things like I, you know, my shrink, I pay my copay through Venmo and, um, it's kind of, you know, you know how Venmo works where you can sometimes make it public. Right. So, so even me and I'm like, I'll tell everybody I see a fucking therapist, blah, blah, blah. Um, I, with her, I, I make it so it's in the private mode, but even still I'm like, in case I fuck it up, I'm going to write, I'm going to write in, I'm paying my therapist for lunch, <laughs> you know, cause I don't, I just don't want people to know I'm like paying for that. And she, I actually told her that she, she kind of laughed and she's like, well, you do have a right to privacy. And it's like your, your reasons for not wanting people to know that and obviously I'm telling you about it. So people will know that, you know, I pay my therapist via Venmo. Um, but it's such a, it's such a funny thing to be so proud of, and I'm proud of my journey. I'm proud of, of what I, what I accomplished going through that and, and what I, you know, learned from it. But I'll tell you, uh, at still, there's so much humiliation in there and so much shame. And, um, you know, I, I, I was, I'm, the new book is called trying and that I have a a section of four different stories on 
um, you know, my struggle with depression and anxiety. And I keep going back and forth on, should I actually publish it? Should I just cut this? I don't think I can do it. I don't think I can do it. And then I'll tell you, it's like this weird thing where I will hear, um, you know, a colleague of my dad's, uh, one of his graduate students who he adored, um, committed suicide right as I was wrestling with this stuff. You know, I, I had grown up with this guy and it was a brilliant, brilliant scientist, beautiful person. And, uh, and he's gone. And, you know, there's, there's so much, there's so, so many stories that have come up to me where I'm like, I wrestle with, oh, I, the, my own shame and my own sense of embarrassment. And, and the truth is, is just so many people are suffering and don't, don't feel like they can speak up about it. It's just, it's just such a awful. And I, you know, and I tell you, Leo, I, I worry now, um, with the whole, with the pandemic and the shelter in place and people that are, that are alone and maybe don't have a good support system. I think about that constantly and ways that they can get access to, to, you know, therapists or any sort of, um, support. It's a telehealth is my husband actually works for, um, uh, what do you call it? Uh, geriatric care, nursing homes, and they provide um, psychologists and therapists to um, to older folks. And they're now rolling out all telehealth because they can't go into the nursing homes. Um, and it's you can imagine how how these older folks are just so scared and feeling so vulnerable. They can't see their families. Um, and the idea being that you know, with with this psych- psychological services for older folks. Um, that instead of pumping them on antipsychotics and medications, that they're actually getting someone to talk to. And, um, so anyways, um, my point is this, there's just, there's so many people that benefit from it. Um, but it still remains such a taboo and, um, I don't know, just, just difficult subject. That's why I'm, I'm really happy for your, for your podcast and what you're doing. Yeah. Your, your, your husband, his name is Weasel. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Weasel. I, I'm amazed you call Vicky Vicky. She goes by Creep uh, most of the time. But yeah, Weasel is his name. Um, he is it's a it's a nickname for a flock. I don't know, twelve, thirteen. How many years? We've been married almost thirteen years. So right. fif- it'll be fifteen years that I've been having sex with him. And in, in September, it'll be yeah, fifteen. That's how I that's how I count it. Well, we met. We met. I'm being so crass. We met fifteen years ago. Um, and in September, it'll be 15 years, and, but and, yeah. So and how are you, how are you all, uh, staying, uh, connect, how are you connecting, uh, you know, during these times, uh, are, are you me and weasel? Yeah. You weasel, you know, just as a family, as yeah. a unit, like, you know, are, yeah. what's, uh, well, well, he, I mean, he, I think it was like 2012 and there he, he started seeing a therapist. So he's actually like someone who really benefit. He's a really smart guy. And, um, he, his, his mental health and just approach to everything is just, uh, just genius to me. So like we, we have a lot of conversations where we grew up together. I mean, I met him when I was 23. So, um, we have definitely had our growing pains and shit, but we have both benefited so much from therapy. And as far as like this experience goes, um, you know, he know he, and we, t- you know, I, well, I'm very frank, obviously he's, he saw, saw the panic attacks. He saw all of it. 
he drove me to appointments. He used to drive me to um, callbacks and auditions and meetings and stuff because I was just, I had to, I had to work, but I couldn't get there. You know, it's just really unwell. So anyway, so he's, he's seen all this stuff and how we are now. Um, you know, it's his whole thing is, you know, just take it day by day. And he's very pragmatic, very, um, a very emotional and sweet person, but also at the same time, very pragmatic. Um, so, you know, it's just a lot of checking in and, um, you know, he'll, he'll be the kind where if I say something that's, I'm, I'm very Gemini, so I can be very warm and lovey dovey. And then I can also be like, get the fuck out of my face kind of thing. So he, um, he's really good at understanding like, okay, let's talk through this. Let's, I got, I, I hate this phrase unpack. It's such an academic douchebag thing, but yeah, let's, let's unpack like any sort of emotion or, or activating triggering thing we, we talk through. So, you know, it's, it's, we, we have a really strong marriage and uh, a lot of that's come from, from working hard and therapy. And I'll, I'll tell you, Leo, um, going through the whole, infertility stuff with him. That's another section in the book. Um, because that was, that was tough and that tested our marriage. Just like I had three years of the panic, panic stuff after that, immediately after that, I was like, okay, I'm well, let's have a baby. And then it was like, not, not fucking happening. So, um, so he and I went through our own sort of, oh man, our turmoil for, for two years was trying to get pregnant and, um, and that tested our marriage in a way that we really hadn't been tested. Um, we really hadn't had that, those difficult, uh, conversations. And, you know, when you, when you're trying to get pregnant and you can't, and you, st- and you think, oh, there's something like, there's something wrong until we got a diagnosis. You know, there's, there's something that felt like, oh, okay, well, God or universe is telling us we shouldn't be together. We, we can't have a kid together. We shouldn't be together, which is a really like stupid heteronormative thing to say and think. But we felt like we weren't, you know, okay, this must not be the case. Um, so we've been, te- we've been tested. Uh, and, and part of me feels like, you know, this, uh, I'm glad that the, that the whole epidemic is happening now and not, you know, three or five years ago, cause it would be a different, it would be a different thing. I've, I've grown up a lot and worked through a lot of shit since then. And so, and so has he. Christy, that your story is so powerful. What's the name of your book again? Oh, uh, the one that's out and available is called elephants in my room. And it's, it's way, it's, it's not as heavy as the, the, you know, stuff I was just telling you and trying, trying has some light stuff to it and that's going to be out in the fall. But yeah, elephants in my room is mostly aside for one section called dearly departed. Um, it's mostly about, uh, you know, funny comedic biographic essays, autobiographic essays. Um, so funny stuff, light stuff, silly stuff, uh, you know, you know, Leo, like the other side of the comedian. Right, right. right. <laughs> all, all the things. And then uh, plug yeah. where people can find you, which is social media, your Twitter, yeah. all that stuff. It's all follow Christy. Uh, you know, it's facebook.com slash follow Christy. Instagram's follow Christy. Instagram. Did I say that already? Facebook, Instagram, both. No, Twitter. Follow Christy. My website's christynichols.com. And I spell my name like the... Uh, auction place the c-h-r-i-s-t-i-e 
Um, and uh, Nichols is two L's, N-I-C-H-O-L-L-S. I love I think, it. I love yeah, it. I think I said, it. and the book is on Amazon if if people want to read it, and it really is funny. <laughs> I feel uh, like I'm like talking about just the darkest shit, and then, uh, but I I will say, Leo, there's there's like this thing with like it's a very honest book, and this next next book is more about the, you know, what it took to to finish that book and get there, and like sort of the the um you know the the more gritty dark stuff because i found a lot of people resonated with the dearly departed section which is divorce disease and death and um my a big chunk of it is talking about taking care of my grandmother who had alzheimer's and kind of um living with disease in ways to it's a lot like you know working through depression or something that the kind of tricks and things that you can do to to make it more enjoyable so um so yeah so this next book trying is about the the kind of like harder stuff but it's still it's still got humor in it if you can believe it i i, I had a section uh one of the chapters is called shitty shrinks and it's about the worst therapist i ever visited and i hope at some point you talk to your um guests about bad therapy because there's definitely bad therapists out there and uh i had an experience with with one that was so bad it was it's truly truly comedic um, all around. And I, um, try, try to write, you know, about the kind of lighter parts of funny parts of mental health and seeking help and all that shit. So anyways, elephants in my room is on Amazon and Goodreads and net galley and all that shit. Perfect. I love it. And, and yeah, there, I've, I've had some experiences with, uh, uh, with some, you're right. Trying to find the right shrink is, is a challenge. And I've heard uh, some horror stories out there. Oh yeah, um, you know it's like dating. You know you, you gotta completely you gotta go through a few and, and uh, so but, don't uh, don't yeah, but don't yeah. give up. You know you, you keep searching and, and you'll yeah. find the right the right person. Just like dating, um, you know you've been married yep. for for or having sex with a weasel for fifteen. Years, <laughs> I know. So. <laughs> I, like such a such a I I, I yeah I think it was just like a comedian to comedian. It's like well really that's like. Yeah, I've been fucking the same person for 15 years in September. So there it is. <laughs> but yeah, he's a very he's much more than a, you know, we're we have a really tight marriage and a really um what well, something I'm very proud of. That I don't I don't talk about that much, but I'm very proud of that and you know what we've um built together. So it's it's good. It's a good thing. Uh Krista, we know you're not a psychologist or psychiatrist, but nope. I I always believe that there's one person listening in who may be on the precipice of ending their life. Uh, Before you kill yourself, what would you say to that person, Christy? No, oh, I'm gonna start crying. Um please just don't <laughs> just I've been there, I know I know what it I I know what I know what that isolation and that loneliness feel like even having support and having um the privilege of of uh, healthcare um please please don't please call suicide line call your very best friend and just please don't <laughs> I I really should have something better to say than that but it's not it's not forever how you feel right now i promise you it's not forever and um there's so much really wonderful good stuff out there and um if you can uh, and one of the reasons that i 
you know, I'm committed to the telling this, talking about this, telling this story is, you know, I had a, I had a dog that was, you know, my, saved my life, literally attacked me and stopped me. And, um, if animals are something that, that speak to you, go to a shelter, get a, get a pup, get a cat and just give yourself that gift of support and love. You deserve it. There's so much more out there than that voice. Please don't let that voice drive your car. Pull the fuck over. Tell them to get the fuck in the back seat. Don't, don't let them drive. I hope that's, that's like so many things. I, I think you asked for one thing. If I, if I could just say one thing, please, please, please don't. Christy, that was very powerful. It's compelling. Thank you so much for. Thank you, Leo. Uh, Thank you. Sharing your story, for spending your time with us. Uh, for being vulnerable. Um, and, and thank you listeners for tuning in and, um, and all leaving in the comments. I love the comments on iTunes. Uh, I'm going to start reading those. <laughs> thank you for the five star reviews. Thank you for being here. Thank you for being alive and for yeah. breathing and, uh, and for also for sharing the podcast. And remember, go to thrivewithleo.com for one-on-one coaching uh, thrivewithleo.com if you want one-on-one coaching. Uh, and then check out Christy Nichols, uh, all her books and, and her, mm-hmm. and all her things. And, uh, and then, you know, when we get out of this, you know, go to her live shows. Um, yeah. so thank you all. Uh, we will talk to you soon.